If you are a diehard listener, you know that my brain straight up broke a little bit last year when Dr. L. Barnes was on the podcast for our conversation about plant science and how I learned that the smells that we know and love outdoors are actually something called VOCs or volatile organic compounds that plants use to communicate with each other. My brain also then broke again a little bit as I researched for my book, Growing Joy, and learned that scent and smell is one of the most powerful senses for memory and feeling. The olfactory system, man, it is pretty darn impressive, and scent is just incredible. No wonder candles and essential oils are so dang popular. And we know this, yeah, we know essential oils are popular and that they're soothing and and all of this stuff, but today's guest, Chris Satch, a beloved repeat guest of Bloominger Radio, is known for taking things that we already know about and breaking them down, diving under the surface and explaining the why and the how behind the things we kind of know and love and almost take for granted. So as we are in a season of exploring our senses and scents, Chris is back with us today to dive into the what and why behind essential oils. So welcome back to Bloom and Grow Radio. Hi, plant friends. I hope you have had delightfully planty weeks. We've been blooming and growing over here with book events left and right, just doing some amazing book events with Terrain in Philly, in New York. I'm hearing back from readers of Growing Joy, my new book, Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness in Plants. It's a self-care book about plant care, but man, it's been crazy. We've just been in this this crazy season. Like for the last two years, I've, I've waited for basically launch, which was earlier this month. And now we're in a season of, okay, and now what, you know, and let's just rest a little bit and enjoy our beautiful country home in the mountains and, and rest and, and practice what I preach in growing joy, which is using plants to cultivate more moments of calm in my life. But anyway, enough about me and on to today's very exciting episode on essential oils. So, you know, Chris Satch, if you've listened to Bloom and Grow Radio before, he is the botanist behind Botanic Tonic. He's a teacher at New York Botanical Garden, a plant genius. He's the ultimate plant nerd, and he comes on for deep dives. He did an amazing deep dive on watering. He's done amazing deep dives on plant Latin. I mean, so many different amazing episodes. And Chris today is coming on for essential oils. This is a little bit of a different episode than Chris normally does. We kind of get to see a different side of Chris in this episode. I definitely want to frame this episode as being super introductory for essential oils. It's not a how to make essential oils. It's what are essential oils and how do they pertain to plants and how do we want to kind of understand them on a better, deeper level. We do talk about how to make essential oils if you want, if you are gardening and you'd like to take a stab at it. There's no like simple option, but I do want to let you know that the things that Chris and I discuss in the episode will be linked in the show notes in case you are interested in getting any of the equipment that we discuss. And also just want to put a disclaimer at the top of this episode if you end up do trying anything Go at your own risk, consult your doctor, essential oils can cause dermatitis, you know, do your own research. This is a high level introduction to this concept. So, you know, just wanted to put that disclaimer there. And because we are talking about essential oils, I wanted to take some time at the end of today's interview and episode to let you guys know how I'm engaging my scent with my plants lately. I've adopted some really fun new habits. And also I've got, if I can rattle it, 
I don't know if that's like good ASMR or bad ASMR, but I have my little box of essential oils with me that I, at the end of the episode, I'm going to go through all of the essential oils that I use in my office and home and tell you how I use them in case you're curious or interested. So if you're interested in that, stick to the end of the episode where I'll break all of that stuff down for you. All right, plant friends, without further ado, here's Chris. Well, Chris, welcome back to Bloominger Radio. I'm so happy to have you on for the 10,000th time. Thank you, Maria. It is so great to be here for the 10,000th time. I'm so excited for today's episode for two reasons. One, I can't wait to learn and practice what we talk about today because I'm growing all sorts of herbs, medicinal herbs. I'm very excited to learn about, but I'm also excited for the listeners because I feel like you're such a wealth of knowledge that when you come on Bloom and Grow Radio, it's normally like a very transactional conversation of like, mm-hmm. you know, watering 101. Like we got to get right. Chris's like deep dive insight into plant Latin or whatever. But right. you are really, you have such a passion for, I believe it's called ethnobotany. Yep. Yep. That's right. You have, you have such a passion for, for so many things in the plant world. And when you pitched me on this idea, I was like, yes, because number one, it's perfect. We're all growing herbs. Let's talk about it. But also I feel like this episode is going to highlight Chris as a broader plant parent and really show off your interest. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. For new listeners, as we have some new listeners joining us this month on Bloom and Grow Radio, do you want to give a brief intro to who you are and how you became the botanic tonic daddy that you are today? Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, So my name is Chris Satch. I am the New York City plant doctor, nycplantdoctor.com, if you're interested in my website. I'm also botanic tonic on Instagram. I'm a professor at the New York Botanical Gardens. I've studied plants uh, formally at university for a very, very long time. I've done research. I have been all over the place speaking for different orchid societies and, um, you know, doing plant consultations all across New York City. So I'm a little bit of everywhere. Chances are, if you know someone in the plant community, they'll probably say something about me. I don't know what they're going to say, but they'll say something. (laughs) Absolutely. You are like the low key supporter. You have your root, your roots. You're the mycelium in the Uh, forest (laughs) connecting a lot of trees. And you are quoted in my book, Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness in Plants. I quote you about how you like to say that plants eat light. I love that. When understanding photosynthesis, that's something you've always said, that plants eat light. And I think it really helps people understand how crucial photosynthesis is. So you made your own point. I made your point for you there. (laughs) Um, And that's exactly right. Yes. And you were, you're a repeat guest on Bloom and Grow. You started with us episode two or three and you know, now it's episode a hundred billion. So, okay. I'm just going to tee you up and let you run on this conversation topic. I think I've showed you offline my, I have epic herb garden, epic medicinal herb garden growing and grow bags on my balcony. So I'm so excited. So let's just start off. Now I feel like probably a lot of gardeners listening don't even understand the correlation between essential oils and the plants that we're growing, and the fact that not only can we grow medicinal and edible plants, but we can actually distill their essences. So for those listening, this is going to be a multifaceted episode. We promise at the end of the episode, stay tuned. We will be going over the best plants to grow if you want to make your own essential oils, but there's a lot of stuff we have to learn before we get there. So Chris, to start off, what is an essential oil? That's a really good question. And one that often gets a lot of um, misconceptions about it. So 
an essential oil or really a distilled essence is kind of exactly that. It, it, it is, you know, an extraction of certain metabolites that the plant makes that often gives either the scent that we need or a desired medicinal or physical property, right? So for example, we extract rose oil from roses. Usually it's the fragrance that we want, but there could also be, you know, other compounds that we're looking for. When you think of an essential oil, you know, you think of one thing like, oh, this one thing is the true essence of the plant. When in reality, essential oils are made up of many, many, many different compounds and chemicals that the plant produces except in very rare and unique circumstances there is no one chemical compound that is you know the essence of the plant or the essential oil of the plant essential oils are made up of a bunch of things like even you know the essence of lemon or the essence of citrus still has other compounds in it although i will say citrus in particular is a mild exception to that where limonene literally named after lemons limonene is the major component in you know citrus essences but there are other chemical compounds that are in there as well that the plant produces so that's sort of what yeah so when you say essence is it a vapor is it when you're squeezing a lemon and it's the lemon juice like what actually is the essence that we're talking about for essential oils for most intents and purposes, it's typically the, the oil itself or the things that are not the juices. So so something that can remind you of the plant, it's sort of what you want it to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, because you know, you can extract many things from the plant. So it's it's really like, do you want the fragrance of the plant? Do you want the medicinal properties of the plant? You know, because each of those are different essences and each of those you can make different tinctures and other potions and whatnot from. So, you know, could you consider the juice an essence, I guess? But mm-hmm. most people are are concerned with the oils and the fragrances. And the fragrances are typically in volatile compounds that are contained within the oils. Although it's there can be some portions of the juice that contain essence, you know, quote unquote essence as well. So in my mind, it's something that reminds you of that plant without the plant really even being there. So for example, like mint oil, right? It smells like mint. It makes you think of mint, even though it's just the oil from the mint plant and not the mint plant itself. So that's sort of my definition for what an essential oil is. Okay. I love that. You know, it, it makes me think of, and this, when I was researching for my book, So I've, you know, I've taken so many classes at the New York Botanical Garden and you've never been my teacher. We've always missed each other, but I took, what class was it? It was either tree communication or intro to plant science where we learned about VOCs. I dove deeper into VOCs for research for my book. And the thing that really shocked me was, you know, everything that we smell, like all of the smells that we associate with plants are actually VOCs, volatile organic compounds, which are methods of communication for the plants. That's right. That's absolutely hundred percent right. Either they're methods of communications or there's some other kind of chemical signal, whether or not they um, are good signals or bad signals. Sometimes their goal is to attract pests. Sometimes their goal is to attract pollinators, uh, repel pests, I mean, attract pollinators. Sometimes the fragrance has no impact on the plant. It just happens to smell that way. And plants produce these fragrances and these compounds for many, many reasons. And so, you know, for example, if you think of an orange, right? Staying on that citrus trend, right? Mm -hmm. The essence of orange or the essence of citrus, right? If you take essential lemon oil or essential orange oil, 
before you even think about that, think about an orange. Think about an orange you've left on your counter for days, weeks, possibly even months. I know at least once in your life, you've left an orange out on the counter for a questionable amount of time. 100%, 100%. Most other fruits like a grape or something else would probably have rotten by then if they didn't dry out terribly first, right? An orange doesn't really rot. Have you ever really seen an orange rot? Maybe once in a while, it'll get like a little blue-green fungus. But other than that, compared to other fruits, an orange doesn't really rot. And that's because of the antimicrobial properties of the essence of orange oil. The orange oil, the lemon oil, lemons don't really go bad either. They stay fresh for, I mean, air quotes, fresh for a long, long time. And that's because of the antimicrobial properties of limonene and the other compounds that are in the essential oil lemons. So, you know, when you think of essential oils, the plants produce essential oils for themselves, right? Plants don't produce really anything for us except for maybe fruits. They want us to eat the fruits to disperse their seeds. They don't actually want to feed us. They just want us to bite chew, Mm -hmm. disperse seeds. So there are other properties too, right? Just like volatiles are used for communication. Ethylene is a gas. That's why you could put apples in a bag, one ripe apple in a bag with a bunch of unripe apples and tomatoes. And the ethylene gas signals to those other apples and tomatoes to start ripening. And that's what they will do. And there are other compounds too that produce, that are used for a wide variety of things by the plant. So for example, the smell of freshly cut grass Oh, my favorite one. Smell of freshly cut grass. Yes. I might horrify you, but that's actually the grass screaming for help. Uh, That's that volatile. The smell of fresh cut grass is actually grass telling other plants nearby. Yo, beware. Beware. We just got attacked by an herbivore. We just got cut in half. We don't know what happened, but like batten up the defenses. And there are many scientific papers where they will induce, you know, quote unquote pain, or they'll like damage a plant and then they'll measure the immune, quote unquote, immune response. I'm using very big air quotes right now Mm -hmm. of the plants that are just nearby that only have exposure to the gas from the other plant and nothing else. They Mm -hmm. can't see the other plant. They put like a barrier in between the other plants upregulated and produced more defensive compounds and produced more anti-herbivory metabolites in order to like try to not get eaten in the best way that they plantally can. So super fascinating stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting to think, especially I'm a, I'm a big believer in essential oils. I love Mm -hmm. scents. Actually, after doing the research for this book, I've been really exploring my scent relationship with plants more because I think as plant people were more visual and we don't understand the power of scent and our olfactory system. But it's interesting to think about how plant scents are way more than just something to make our bathroom smell nice, you know? And, you know, I was hyper aware of it as, you know, I planted my first garden outdoors this year as I moved to the country Mm -hmm. and we have so much deer and figuring out the deer resistant plants, but the deer resistant plants are the plants that have certain scents. It's salvias, lavender, marigolds. Mm -hmm. It's that specific scents that deer don't like. And it's just very interesting to think about how clever plants can be by creating those, those scents themselves. 
Have you had the urge to learn a new language lately, plant friend? Maybe for an international trip, to connect with family or friends, or just to take up a new skill and exercise your mind a little bit? Io consiglio Rosetta Stone, which means I recommend Rosetta Stone in Italian as I just use it to brush up my Italian for a recent trip I took to Italy. Here's why I trusted Rosetta Stone with the task. They have been teaching millions of people to learn languages for 30 years and have 25 languages offered. The work on the app is fast. There's no messing around. There's no English translations. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language that you're learning. And the exercises are so fun and convenient. I would do it in the morning after I woke up with my coffee as a way to kind of wake up my body, wake up my brain. It was so fun. It's available on desktop or an app, so it's super convenient. One of the coolest things I was the most impressed by is the true accent feature that they have, which listens to you practicing and literally gives you feedback on your pronunciation. So it almost kind of feels like you have a personal tutor for a price that's way cheaper than a tutor. And you get a lifetime membership, which gives you access to all 25 languages, which is amazing. So last year I used it to brush up on my Italian, but this year Billy and I are talking about going to Japan and we were thinking that we might use Rosetta Stone to learn Japanese. With one purchase, you get lifetime access to all the languages you could ever want to learn. And right now, Rosetta Stone is being offered to you for 50% off. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started with this limited time discount for Growing Joy with Plants listeners. You can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Yeah, exactly. No, hundred percent. Right. And, you know, there's also other things that, you know, plants might make sense and have things that have unintended consequences, right? Like for example, basil, you and I, like, I'm a big fan of basil. I think you're also a big fan mm-hmm. of basil too. Mm-hmm. Basil oil, basil produces that oil to be antimicrobial, to be antifungal, but inadvertently, it ends up attracting a bunch of certain insects, particularly plant pests. Basil gets demolished. Also, have you noticed how certain plants are pest magnets and other plants pests don't really bother that much? That's because of other volatiles. Certain pests, based on the way that they've evolved, have receptors for certain types of volatiles. And if the plant produces it, they gravitate towards it. And if the plant doesn't produce it, then they don't really see that plant. Like they might visually perceive, Hey, there's a plant there, but they might think, ah, that doesn't look too appetizing. I'm going to go over here where this other plant smells much more appetizing. So that's why you'll get like for the indoor growers, right? You'll have something like a ficus. Oh, why are all my ficus being attacked by everything all the time? Well, they happen to produce volatiles that attract inadvertently these different pests when in reality those volatiles might serve a different function for the ficus and or it may just produce them as just a byproduct of its own metabolism just like you know you and I sweat and we each have our own sense you know not for any particular reason we just smell a certain way Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they pick up on that so it's just a fascinating relationship right there with that. And I'll give one, one last example before we, uh, before we move on is, um, I love telling us it's the coffee example, coffee. Now, when we think of essential oils, I want everyone to think and remember the term secondary metabolites. These are all byproducts of the plant that are not really involved in photosynthesis. So we think of primary metabolites as 
only things that are involved in photosynthesis. That's capturing the sun's energy, storing that energy as sugars, and then eventually breaking down those sugars and to using energy to produce the secondary metabolites, which are all the goody, the goodies that we know and love. So coffee, tea, you know, they produce caffeine. The coffee bean has a lot of caffeine in it. Did you know that the whole purpose of caffeine is to be a natural pesticide? The point of caffeine is when a bug bites into the coffee tree leaves, right? It's supposed to be overdosed and its heart is supposed to explode from the caffeine. But to you and... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I wish I could make this up, but that's However, actually what the plant is trying to do. The plant is trying to kill the insect by making its heart explode. But, you know, you and I drink it, we just get a jolt because of the dosage and the size of us versus the size of the uh, the insect, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever heard that old, like, that old wives tale of like one drop of concentrated pure caffeine or like two drops of concentrated pure caffeine will kill you. Mm-hmm. There's truth to that. You know, it, it's only a couple of drops of pure distilled essence of caffeine that will actually kill you too. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, there's there have been one or two days of my life where I've had too many coffees and feel like my heart is going to explode. Oh, yeah. I could definitely relate to that. Okay, so so we know what essential oils are. I think this is such a fun conversation to be having right now. Many of us are trying to grow herbs, trying to grow plants. I've got all, all sorts of scented geraniums. Also, Billy and I, you know, we live in the middle of the woods. We're starting to need to wear bug spray more frequently and trying to go the all natural route. And up here, we found some really cool essential oil bug sprays that have no DEET or weird stuff in them. So I've, I've been living my best essential oil life these days. So if we're interested in potentially trying to make our own are there more than one methods of extraction? Like what is the process of making your own essential oil? Yeah, there's actually um, a lot of ways uh, to distract, to distract, to extract <laughs> essential oils. Um, there's, you know, methods going all the way back to ancient times. Uh, the method I'm kind of trying to bring up to the top of my brain, it's called the enflorage method. I just read about it in Better Homes and Gardens the other the other month. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you probably know more than I do because it's been a million years since I thought about this method. It's basically this really ancient method where you would take an unscented fat of some kind. And we're talking chemistry fat now. So in chemistry, a fat could be an oil, it could be a wax, it could be, you know, some kind of grease, you know, anything that's non-polar. I want you to, you know, when you're thinking of essential oils and you're thinking of uh, extraction from plants, the two biggest chemistry concepts you have to like kind of get through your brain are things that are polar, which mm -hmm. are things that dissolve in water and things that are non-polar, which are things that dissolve in fats, oils, waxes, things like that. And so this ancient method, most aromatic volatiles are fat soluble. Mm -hmm. Most of the ones that we're into are fat soluble. That's why they're essential oils and not really essential water. Waters. There are some fragrant compounds that are water soluble you can get a complex mixture if you try hard enough. So <laughs> the enflorage method is where you would take an unscented fat, like olive oil or some kind of animal fat that you had recently acquired somehow. And you would take fragrant flowers of whatever you wanted to extract, and you would just mush them into the fat 
or you would dissolve them in the olive oil and you would leave them in there for a couple of days and then you'd take them out, replace them with fresh ones. And you'd keep doing that until the, the fat or wax or whatever was saturated with however much fragrance you wanted from that. And that method is, you know, it does the trick for ancient times, but it's kind of inefficient. It, it, it works, but, you know, there are much more time efficient and energy, you know, really time efficient and quality efficient ways to extract. So in terms of modern extraction methods, there are a few that are really good there and some of them have controversy around them. So I'm going to go through the first one because it's really straightforward. It's called cold pressing or cold expression. And that is just really just used for orange peels, citrus rinds, or any other like hard plant material that has oils. You can also use cold pressing for like walnut oils and other kind of nut oils, anything with like a really tough uh, rind, I guess you'd call it, mm-hmm. where you can, where you could press an oil out of. That's what cold pressing is for. And it literally, it is exactly what it sounds. You take something with a lot of weight and you physically press and squeeze out the oils and you collect them. So pretty straightforward, only used and only good for those. Now, if you have flowers or something else, you're going to either want to go with distillation or extraction. And, you know, depending on what kind of purist you are, you will have different opinions as to what's best. And also depending on what you're trying to isolate will determine which method is best for you, right? So there are some purists out there. Well, first, let me tell you how they work. And then I'll tell you what the controversy, it's not even really controversy. It's really just agreement or disagreement of which method is better, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So steam distillation is sort of what you think of in a mad scientist laboratory. You crush your plant, whether it is a wet extract, meaning the plant is fresh. You didn't dry the plant out. It's fresh matter. Or whether it's dried out plant matter, that is up to you. There are certain compounds you can get from a fresh sample. There are certain compounds that you can get from a dry sample, and that will influence your final product. Like for example, if I'm steam extracting fresh basil versus dried basil, I'm actually going to get a slightly different uh, product because there are some things that are soluble in the water Mm. that will make it through that steam distillation from the fresh material that, you know, might break down for the dry material. So there, so there, that's kind of steam distillation. What happens is you take your matter, you dissolve it in water, or you crush it up and you dissolve it in water. You make kind of like a watery paste. You boil it into this graduated column. And it, you know, at certain you can control the temperature. And for whatever compound you're looking for, you can set the temperature that's optimal for that compound. So for example, you kind of have to know a little bit like what the evaporation points of each compound is and what the degradation point of each compound is. So certain oils go rancid or they just decompose at a certain temperature. Mm -hmm. And that makes extraction hard for some of the more nuanced uh, flavors. In other words, the good flavors that you really, really want, you know, to make your scent very, very complex or your extraction very complex. And so steam distillation is, you know, it takes that you can control it and you can go through that. Oh, I forget the name of the, it's, it's a, I think it's called a refraction chamber or a refraction cylinder or a condenser. I think it's called a condenser. It's one of those, you can all Google it, but it's basically this refractional distillation column where you get exactly what you want at the temperature that you want. And the essence comes out at the other end, and then you can distill it again for purity. So 
a lot of times you'll hear, especially in the alcohol world, you'll see like, oh, this vodka has been triple distilled. That means they've distilled it once or steam distilled it once and they got most of the alcohol out. The second and the third times are really just for purity. They're really to just really get like that one or two sets of compounds that they really, 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 really want and nothing mm-hmm. else. The problems with steam distillation are the fact that you're using heat to take out compounds means that for some really, really sensitive fragrances, they'll just decompose. It'll just be too hot for them. So for example, if you're trying to extract jasmine essence, you can't really use steam distillation because the scent that the the compounds that are responsible, the terpenes and the alcohols and the ketones and things like that, that are responsible for the jasmine fragrance will just cease to exist you know, they'll just break down into their components and they won't be fragrant at all if you use steam distillation. So the second method of extraction, which is sort of a spinoff of the enfleurage, is called uh, extraction. And I'm kind of using those terms a little liberally right now, just because like in my brain, I'm like, well, you're still extracting it from the plant. But there is extraction extraction, which is where you take some kind of solvent And this is where you have to know your polar, nonpolar. And this is where you really have to kind of figure out which compound do I want out of this plant or which set of compounds do I want out of this plant? Because the biggest mistake that people make when they're distilling something is they think, oh, I have the essence. I have the one thing that makes this up. When in reality, there are hundreds of compounds that make up any one scent. And there are tens of compounds that make up any other scent. Like it's never just one thing you're distilling unless you have like a big laboratory or unless you put a lot, a lot of time into just getting one compound into its purest form. Really what you're looking for is just a cocktail or a mixture of the essences or compounds that still make up that plant. So for example, going back to my lemon example, Instead of just trying to focus on, oh, I only want limonene. Limonene is the essence of lemon. That's the only one I want. What really makes that citrusy fragrance good are the other things that are there too. There's alpha and beta pinene. There's linalool, which is a very fun one to say. Linalool. Mm. Linalool. There are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a few other like terpenes and things that like that that are in there as well that actually make it smell like the lemons that you and I know and love rather than like, hmm, this is kind of like a weird chemically lemon smelling. Mm. It's like, yeah, because you just extracted the one. So anyway, coming back, you know, you have to realize when you're distilling or when you're extracting, you're get, you're always getting more than one, unless you really put the time and effort to like just separate out that one. So now that that's aside, coming back to extraction, extraction is where you figure out which ones you're going for and you choose the appropriate solvent. Now you can use ethanol as a solvent. That's, that's drinking alcohol. You can use acetone. You can use hexane. You can use benzene. You can use a bunch of other fun ones. Uh, some of them are just a tickle toxic, but the thing about extraction is, is you use them to solubilize or grab on to the oils or nonpolar compounds, right? You're using like to dissolve like. You're using nonpolar things to dissolve other nonpolar things to pull them out, right? Because oil and vinegar don't mix, right? Vinegar is miscible with water. You can dissolve vinegar and water, no problem. But you can't dissolve vinegar or water inside oil. But you can dissolve other oils in oils. So when you're extracting these essential oils and you're doing the extraction method, Ethanol has an affinity for certain compounds. 
hexane has an affinity for other compounds, so on and so forth. So the way it typically goes in this is you take your plant matter, you crush it up or you don't, depends on what you're trying to get out of it. And you put it into the solvent, right? The appropriate solvent that, you know, gets the compounds that you're looking for. And that will usually make something called, if it's if it's like a solid solvent, if it turns into a solid at some point, it's called a concrete. And, you know, inside that concrete is both the solid solvent, usually a wax plus your essential oil. And then towards the end of the solvent extraction, you just have to extract the solvent from the extraction. So what a lot of people will do is they'll take a rotary vapor and uh, it's this really cool machine that uh, you can buy it at home for home use. It's just really, really expensive. And it'll it'll dry out or suck out really the hexane or the ethanol or the other solvent that you use. Now, the thing is, is that this is where a little bit of the debate comes in like, oh, well, if you're using like, quote unquote, a hard chemical like benzene, right? Or hexane, right? Um, that are quote unquote, unnatural compounds. That's another debate. You know, some people think that, okay, well, that's not right. You have traces of these, you know, potentially toxic compounds. And it is true, hexane and benzene at certain concentrations are toxic to humans. That's why you want to evaporate as much of them off as possible. So when you get that concrete, you put it into a rotary uh, vapor riser thing, and it basically lowers the pressure to a certain point and it raises the temperature just a little bit to a certain point where just the solvent will come out. And you know what? Sometimes a little bit of the essence will come out too. It all depends on which compounds are in there, right? If there is a compound in there that just has a very low boiling point where like you don't have to heat it up that much for it to turn into a gas, then yeah, that's going to get extracted too with your solvent. Oh, well, there's nothing you can really do about that. And most of the times we don't really focus on that stuff anyway, because we've been extracting things for thousands of years and we're kind of happy with how they turn out. But anyway, that's sort of the long and short of how you do solvent extraction. There are some very purist folks who will concede that if you use ethanol, which is drinking alcohol, to extract that it's still technically like safe for consumption and pure and all that other fun stuff. The other extracts, by the way, you can use any of these extracts topically. Like topically, even if they use benzene or hexane to extract, like that's on the outside of your body. Yeah, your skin absorbs like a very tiny, tiny, tiny amount, but it's it's not going to be harmful to you. It's just for consumption, I would be mindful of if you're going to consume this oil, then I would definitely use ethanol or I would use the rotovapor, rotoevaporator several times in order to really get out enough benzene or hexane or whatever you're using to safely consumable levels. Thank you to today's episode sponsors, Espoma Organics and Territorial Seed Company. Plant Friends Espoma Organic is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to making safe indoor and outdoor gardening products for people, pets, and the planet. They have some serious sustainability goals, Plant Friends, that I really admire. 
And as we are deep into the growing season, I want to talk about feeding again today. Espoma Organics makes tons of pet-friendly, people-friendly products like their lines of potting mixes, their lines of soil amendments. But as it's mid-July and many of us are tending to our gardens and needing to fertilize, it's time to hone in on their fertilizers. If you're a liquid fertilizer person, someone who prefers to use a liquid version where you're basically pouring an already made liquid into a watering can and then watering your plants with said liquid, they've got awesome 16-ounce liquid fertilizers. It's basically like a laundry detergent. The, the cap ends up being the measuring cup. You you pour it into the cap and then you dump it into your watering can and water. It's stupidly easy, plant friends. It's really hard to mess up. <laughs> I've been using their liquid tomato fertilizer on my cherry tomato plants. They've been super happy. They also have bloom and grow fertilizers. Use the bloom on your flowering plants and the grow on your foliage plants, obviously, available. Also, quick shout out to their indoor houseplant liquid fertilizer that I use basically with every watering. But the thing that they're the most known for, Espoma Organic, is their line of Tones, which is a garden fertilizer plant food that they've had for 85 years. Their Holly Tone is the one that's been all around for the longest, but they literally have a tone or a fertilizer for every plant you could possibly grow, <laughs> truly. If you go on their website, the amount of different plant-specific perfectly tailored for each plant fertilizers that you can get are incredible. So they have garden tone, flower tone, berry tone, rose tone, bulb tone, tomato tone, one of my favorites, citrus tone, limey's favorite, Um, but they really have something for everyone. So if you really want to up-level your gardening techniques and your fertilizing and really make it specific to whatever you're growing, you can check them out. So to learn more on Espoma's indoor and outdoor products, visit espoma.com to see where your local Espoma dealers are, or click the link in the show notes to head over to my Bloom and Grow Espoma Amazon storefront with a curated list of my Espoma favorites. Plant friends, I know that we're in the growing season right now. Stuff we've planted in the spring is starting to get harvested this summer. But did you know with the right timing and varieties, in many places you can grow year-round, if not extend your gardening season, probably beyond what you think. And Territorial Seed Company carries a special selection of vegetable, flower, and herb seeds that are perfect to start in the summer right now through the fall to extend that harvest to get a harvest late fall, winter, or even over winter. These are plants like brassicas, root crops, lettuce and greens, onions, and more. Man, next year, onions are on my to-do list. I, I didn't grow onions this year. I grew onions with Melody last year, and I had so much fun doing it. And if you want to talk about fun in the garden for yourself or if you're gardening with kids, they are kind of famous for their huge selection of garlic that they have, which is one of the gems of the winter garden. You actually plant garlic in the fall and you harvest it the following summer. And I have to say, I grew garlic with Melody a couple of years ago and your fresh grown garlic is so different than the store-bought garlic. And there's such empowerment when you cook with it. And I'm a garlic girl, so I really appreciate a homegrown garlic moment. For over 40 years, Territorial Seed Company has been helping enable gardeners to be more self-sufficient, providing everything necessary to grow bountiful, great-tasting, fresh-from-the-garden food year-round. They are offering an exclusive coupon code for Bloom & Grow Radio listeners. That's code GROW10, GROW10, at checkout when you visit TerritorialSeed.com. Once again, TerritorialSeed.com and use code GROW10 at checkout. 
I think that this is more of a conversation about the different yeah. types and no, everybody should consult their doctor and consult the manual of however you're doing it before trying to do this. But is there a more accessible way than that? To extract oils, you mean? Yeah. Really steam distillation and solvent extraction are the two main ways that it's done. There's another way that's done. It's really, if you have a laboratory, it's called CO2 extraction. And that is also arguably another safe, safe way to extract essential oils because carbon dioxide is a nonpolar gas. And when you liquefy carbon dioxide by making it very, very cold, basically dry ice, really, you could use dry ice, you could use liquid CO2 and you put your plant extract, you dissolve it in that liquid CO2, let it sit for a couple of days so that the oils come out. And then you slowly raise the temperature such that the CO2 just kind of bubbles off like seltzer water. And some people still have a problem with that. They think, oh, it's unnatural because you're using carbon dioxide. And then uh, to me, I'm like, this is probably the most natural you're going to get because carbon dioxide is like everywhere. Right. It's, it's like totally fine. So if I'm a home gardener and sure. I want to try distilling my oils for the first time and I don't have a laboratory and I don't have that fancy yep. machine, mm -hmm. what's the best? And I also feel like let's take the lavender. I'm growing lavender in a grow bag outside. So yep. let's take my lavender. Am I going the distillation method or am I going the steam method? Distillation and steamer are, are the same thing. So you're using water, the power of water. Sorry, not distillation. Um, extraction. Extraction. Am I going yeah. extraction or am I going steam? You would probably go for your first time. You could really go either way. They're, they're both acceptable. If you went the steam method, like the steam distillation, there are actually kits they sell on Amazon for like anywhere between $150 and $500, which is like a little pricey, but like not totally out of your range. Like if you're going to be doing this and you know, you're going to be doing this, like I'm a mm -hmm. soap maker and I really want essential oils for my soap and I have a garden, like totally makes sense to invest in something like that. You can, if you're just kind of experimenting, you can invest in a cheapo for like 150. Okay. Uh, they're all over the internet. Amazon has them. We can link and, to some. Yeah. Yeah. We can link to some. And there's, uh, there's also some resources that I'll provide that, you know, if you're looking for a particular compound, this is like its properties. This is how you extract it, so on and so forth. Okay. But I would do that. It usually requires either some kind of Bunsen burner or, or like some kind of flame source. It could be your stove. Mm -hmm. It could be some kind of burning apparatus. Usually next to that kit, they'll sell like, if you don't have a Bunsen burner, right. you don't have Here's a flame Bunsen stove. Burner you can your buy. Bunsen yeah. burner, right? A camping, a camping stove or something. A camping stove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those work. Some source of heat. And then you take your water and your plant, you mash them together or you leave it intact. Up so I take my lavender water. leaves. I mix it up with water. I mash it up so it releases some of its goodness. Or it's flowers. Typically at that point, it's its flowers. It's its yeah. flowers. Yep. And then by boiling the flower water solution, yep. it's going to pull up the essence, the oils and the essence of the lavender mm -hmm. up into the little contraption that I buy on Amazon. Right. And into at the, the end of this yep. whole process, I'll have the oil or a liquid with you the lavender essence. You should have a mixture of water and oil at the end mm -hmm. where they sort of like half separate. And like, depending on how hardcore you want to be, there's like another method where you can separate the oil and the water. There's like, you know, you can, you can use like really high gravity. Like some of this, you do need some equipment for, like you can't totally. Okay. 
home run it. Like I, I would love to, but like, it's very, very difficult to at least getting something good out of it. It's very difficult to, so you'll have like an oil water mixture. The oil mixture will still have like tiny microscopic missiles of water mm-hmm. in it. But like, if you just let it sit out over time, the oil will come up to the top. If it's a less heavy than water oil, or it'll go to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of it'll like separate, it'll separate. And then you take one or the other and you know, the water will have some, water soluble fragranted compounds in it too. It depends on what you're looking for. So you could either take the water and use it. You could take the oil and use it. You could take both and use it, but there is another, you could even distill it again, right? You could take the oil out of that and then distill it again to get even more water out. At that point, you're just distilling the oil, right? And then you're you're getting it hot more and more concentrated, right? You can concentrate it from there. Exactly. Okay, so that's that's version one. That's $150 investment on Amazon, Yep. but fun. Yep. Okay, so that's the first version. The second version, extraction. Yep. Let's take the same lavender plant. Yep. So I'm taking the lavender flowers, mm-hmm. and then I'm taking alcohol. Ethanol, yep, the, the drinking kind, not the rubbing kind. And oh, I'm mashing it the up. rubbing kind. Mash it up together. Um, sometimes you can even, it, it, and, and again, there are so many methods. Like I'm just right. saying one possible route. Like mm-hmm. some people, depending on the compounds, they'll take it, they'll mix it in the ethanol, they'll crush it a little bit, and then they'll throw it in the freezer. Let it mm-hmm. sit for a couple of days to allow, because the fun thing about alcohol is that alcohol is a double-sided molecule. It has a non-polar end, non-polar tail, and a polar head. Very complicated if you don't know chemistry. All you need to know is that it has properties of both and alcohol can actually mix with both. It's magical like that. Mm -hmm. And so you leave it in your freezer for a couple of days to really just like pull the oils and all of the uh, the, non-water soluble things out. And then at that point, if it forms, like depending on another solvent you use, you can make it form like a wax or you could just distill that, right? Once you once it's pulled out, you can try like, you know, cooking off the alcohol at that point or doing whatever you want with it. It's it's there's a couple of a couple of ways you can you can go about that. But yeah, you could even use like I've known people to use like olive oil and like beeswax to try to like get stuff out. There's like a there's like millions of recipes. I can't even really talk about one. I I actually have not done the extraction extraction. I've only ever really done distillation. So Oh, with a kit that you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I haven't, and also I haven't really like, yeah, I haven't done extraction in a million. Like I have done extraction, but I haven't done it in so long. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say that I haven't done it. I'm going to be like, it's been a, way too I long. I have to say Better Homes and Gardens made on Florage look really easy just for like mm-hmm. a, a beginner, like a starter person, just to like yeah. get some coconut oil and rub the plants in it and just yeah. leave it. Okay, so- there's those different types of methods. So what would you recommend for beginners? It sounds like you would recommend the distillation version. Yeah. For, for beginners, I would just try your hand at distillation. It's a, it's a process that is just as much art as it is science. And to be a really good distiller is actually a big deal because it requires a lot of patience and it requires a lot of precision. Mm-hmm. So if you're the kind of person who, so there's two kinds of people in the world, right? There are people who cook and there are people who bake and the personality differences are very stark, right? very people, stark. People who bake are measurers and they do things exactly the same way. And they're very meticulous and OCD about the way they do things versus, and that could get very good results versus 
cooks, I'm just going to throw in a dash of this and a splash of that. I'm not going to really measure. And it's going to have my soul in it and it's going to come out great. And it does come out great. And both methods come out great. With distillation, you must be a baker. You must be more precise. You must be replicable. You must do and record exactly what you're doing in the exact same way, because these are physical things you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. You're not dealing with living things and you're not really dealing with you know, something more subjective like flavor. You are with scent, but you're not smelling it until the end. So just be very meticulous with the temperature. Make sure that the temperature is stable. If you're selecting like, okay, I'm going to boil this to 175 degrees, make sure that it stays there so that you only get those compounds that are, you know, will boil underneath that temperature. And those are the ones that will come out into solution. So yeah, master steam distillation first, move on to solvent extraction. First, try ethanol, your handed ethanol before you start doing the, um, like hexane and benzene, the things that are a little more toxic, of course. Uh, yeah. I would say careful. let's not even recommend hexane and let's benzene not. Let's, let's <laughs> to not. beginners let's on this podcast. Um, we're, not re- we're not endorsing that. No, not endorsing that. <laughs> not looking for a lawsuit there. All right. So these are all really interesting things. If I can find the article from Better Homes and Gardens, for anyone who doesn't want to do the Amazon thing, they may, they had a very easy step-by-step guide to on florage. You basically like take your flowers and put them in fat and let them rest for a while. So if you use any of these methods that we talk about, this is more of a general informative episode, but if you end up doing how to, please tag me and Chris on social media so we can see what you end up doing. Okay, Chris, this is talking about pulling all of these essential oils out has me wondering like, what is the oil? (laughs) Like what does it, what makes a scent a scent and what makes the individuality of these oils, what they are? Does that make sense? I'm getting a little philosophical, but what, what do you think? No. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, just like I said before, oils, when you're extracting an essence, you're not extracting one compound, you're extracting many compounds. And so, you know, there are a lot of compounds that make up fragrances and typically they're organized into classes of compounds. There's millions and millions of compounds, you know, every kind of combination of carbon can really make, you know, such a total difference in, in the fragrance. So for example, like if you smell a fruit or a flower that smells very fruity, like cherry or strawberry flavor or fruitiness, like those are esters that make that. And uh, particularly banana scent, the chemical compound, the name is slipping me right now, that is responsible for this fragrance of banana is an ester as well. So if you're going for something fruity, you're going to want to extract uh, or focus on the esters of whatever is inside of your compound. Then there's aldehydes. Aldehydes are that kind of like grassy, citrusy, nutty kind of like, but it's a very specific grassy, citrusy, nutty. So like grassy as in like cut grass, Citrus is in like kind of more like the piercing part of the lemon scent and like nutty as in sort of like the weird part of the nuttiness, if that makes sense. Like you have to really like think hard when you're tasting and smelling these flavors and like breaking it down like, okay, so like it starts like this, it's sort of like this now and then it ends like this. Because again, even fragrances are very complex. Alcohols are typically for more floral sense. And then there's, you know, not every scent is good. There's, um, you know, there are, there are ketones, which, you know, are more of like an acetone, like that, that punch of acetone, like nail polish remover ketones. If there's a ketone in there, you'll sort of get that like 
it won't smell like nail polish remover, but it'll feel like nail polish remover. So for example, the compounds responsible for celery, Mm -hmm. smelling like celery, those are ketones that has that very like fresh, like ethereal, like, like, like pungent in, in, in my brain. It's sort of like a very like air that's lighter than air, like that kind of like, not menthol because menthol is not a ketone, but like kind of like that, like air above air. I don't know how to describe it. There's other compounds too, like carboxylic acids and thiols and amines, all of which smell relatively terribly. Amines smell (laughs) like rotting fish because those are nitrogen compounds, you know, like we use in fertilizer, like fish Mm -hmm. emulsion smells bad. Thiols, those have sulfur in them. Uh, very important to the plant metabolically, but they smell like onions or garlic. Garlic, the fragrances of garlic and onions, those are all thiols. That's what makes them smell like themselves. Carboxylic acids. Think of that as like pungent of cheese, vinegar, and that kind of rancid smell. Mm -hmm. And that'll be in there too. There'll be like trace amounts of all of these within any one like floral component. You might think like, ew, there's like smell of rotting fish in like a flower scent. Like there is a little bit and some flowers make that more than others, right? Like, well, it's kind of, it's kind of like how you need salt to really taste the sweetness of something. You like need a balance of all the flavors. And it sounds like it's the same with these components, just in different ratios. Exactly. 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 Yeah. And the only other uh, big classes you're going to see are terpenes and phenols. You're going to hear a lot about terpenes, phenols, and tannins as well. If you're a wine drinker, you already kind of know about tannins. Tannins are responsible for that kind of like oaky, woody smell and flavor. You know, smell and taste are very closely related. They're almost the same sense. They go to the same parts of the brain. And in most organisms, they kind of are the same kind of like function, Mm -hmm. right? Smell and taste. Like a snake tastes the air. That's why it flicks its tongue out because the the fragrance and the taste are, you know, fairly the same. They're chemical receptors. It's your body's chemical receptors versus your eyes are your body's electromagnetic radiation receptors. And your ears are your vibrational receptors. And your touch is also vibrational receptor too. So anyway, those are the big like classes of compounds that are found in essential oils and that you're going to run into at some point if you do decide to go down the uh, extraction path. I love it. And even if you just use essential oils, I mean, this is, I have bottles and bottles of essential oils. I have a whole chapter of them on in my book. And this is just fun to learn about. It's so fun. You know, you think, oh, oh so you buy good. the essential oil for $3 at Walmart, you know, or at Marshall's in the, in the sales department of Marshall's. And you don't really think about it, but it, it is really interesting to break down what the sense of all of these plants that we know and love really are. Yep. When it comes to distilling, now that we've just talked about distilling extraction on Florage, I just did something the other day, which is actually the opposite of oil, but I had all these chive blossoms. Mm -hmm. And so I took them and I put them in white wine vinegar Mm -hmm. and I'm distilling the chive blossoms in white wine vinegar and it's turning the vinegar pink and gorgeously pungent and onion flavor, which I'm really excited. So that's more distilling than turning it into an essential oil. But I do think it's interesting, like how many different ways can we play with these plants that we're growing and how many different ways can we engage with them, you know, engaging with the scent as much as engaging, growing, you know, with touching and growing them and eating them obviously, but like how many ways can we engage our senses 
with plants as we explore our relationship with them? And the answer is like, it's kind of unending. It's like there's limitless opportunities to kind of dive deeper and enrich your experience. And, and technically you did a solvent extraction right there. The vinegar is your solvent and you've extracted the essence of the chive into the vinegar. And now you have chivey vinegar. So if if you wanted to continue to distill that uh, further, distill it then and extract it, you could get the essence of chive or whatever you want, or you could just use the vinegar as is. It's perfectly good like that. So you just at home did did a solvent extraction and you could do other solvent extractions too. I know a lot of folks who make their own wine or make their own, like whatever, like they'll harvest a plant. They'll put it in like alcohol and they'll just let it sit there. And then the essence will come out and then the alcohol will smell like that, whether it's rubbing alcohol or drinking alcohol, it'll get that essence. Just like we put plants in water, like lemon water, mint water. The water is the extraction solvent, right? And, you know, it's not as, I mean, mint water is not as minty as mint oil is, Mm -hmm. right? There's different rates of success because you're getting different compounds, but that's just a great example of how you can do this at home without having to invest too much in fancy equipment. Although if you're really hardcore about it, by all means, get the fancy equipment. It's definitely worth it. And you're gonna have a lot of fun experimenting. Yeah. I think depending on how my garden grows this summer, if I have like an ample amount of herbs that if I have the herb forest that I'm hoping that I have at the end of the, at the end of the summer, I think that's for 200 bucks. I think that's a really fun investment to be able to preserve all of the stuff that you grew. Cause you know, I feel like we all hit Mm -hmm. that moment in the summer where we've grown too many, too many tomatoes. We've, we've, our basil is out of control. We don't know. We can't make enough Mm -hmm. pesto, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's super fun. What are your favorite essential oils and plant scents that you like to keep in your day-to-day life? Oh, that's a good question. My all-time favorite, all-time favorite has to be rose oil. I love rose oil. I love this. I, I, I love the smell of roses. I just can't get enough of rose. I actually just bought some rose oil like yesterday and I applied it with like my skin cream and it was just so great. So, uh, rose oil is my favorite, but you can grow plenty of plants, any plant that has a fragrance that you can grow that you like, you can distill and extract some of the easiest ones to distill are obviously any kind of citrus. The rind is you just put a lot of weight on it. You could squeeze the lemon oil out nice and easy. Anything with really pungently fragrant flowers, like Jasmine, if you do the enflorage or if you do like a solvent, Mm -hmm. extraction. Like you could throw the jasmine flowers in, you could try alcohol. I don't know if that is the best solvent, but you could try it. Gardenias, things like that. If they have thrips, the thrips will instantly die when you toss them in the alcohol. Hey, there you go. (laughs) You could also dry out your herbs, like any herb or spice that's edible, you can extract some kind of oil from. Most other plants you can extract oils from too. It's just, they may not, they might not be the oils you're interested in. So like, could I extract oils from... I don't know, my tree outside. Yes. Probably not a lot of oils Mm -hmm. and probably not any oil that I like or would smell good, but you know, you could still try. Well, Uh, that's funny you say that, Chris, because I actually, so obviously doing research for the book, I ordered a bunch of essential oils because I was reading all this research about the impact essential oils are having. And there's mm -hmm. all this research in Japan about Japanese tree oils 
and cool ass studies, like proving how mm-hmm. they can really affect like your quality of sleep and your well being and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I ordered this Japanese tree oil called called Hinoki. Have you mm-hmm. ever heard of it? No, it's you incredible. It's made out of the Hinoki tree. The, oh well. <laughs> um, and I would diffuse it every morning when I went to work. Like when I would go to my, you know, for me, diffusing essential oils became part of my morning routine because I was working from home. So I would like cook up a blend of essential oils per day that that was based on my mood. And Hinoki was like my smell associated with getting to work, which was really fun. But I've also really enjoyed pine sandalwood. Oh, pine is great. I'm like into the tree oils lately, but I would never, I would never suggest trying to diffuse it on your own. That is definitely a world of essential oils that opened up to me this last year, just due in the, because of the research from my book that I'm actually like, so into, I actually have a a really good Hanoki Hanoki flavored candle. It's called shout out to boy smells. It's a Hanoki phantom candle and it has Mm. Hanoki cardamom Jasmine, moss, and guayac. Whatever moss is supposed to smell like. <laughs> Whatever moss smells like. I'm here for it. It smells so good. I just looked it up. Hinoki appears to be a cypress. So a cypress, yeah. A cypress. So it's like very like kind of pine-ish. Yes. It's a lemony, super fresh, delightful smell that like wakes you right up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And particularly if you're interested in distilling or extracting oils and resins from trees. Typically the trees that produce more resins tend to have more oils in them. So there are plants that, yeah, they produce oils, but like some of them don't nearly produce enough oil to really extract from. That's why we don't extract from those plants. But Mm -hmm. then there are plants that produce a lot of oils like pine trees, pine trees, ooze resin all the time. Those resins are just loaded with Mm -hmm. like alpha and beta pinene and other really extractable compounds you know, olive trees, you know, olives have been pressed for oil for a million years, you know, not really a million, but any kind of plant with a fragrance is a good place to start or a fragrance that you're into is a good place to start. The world is your oyster. And this is really one of the fun parts of ethnobotanies. There's a little bit of experimentation, right? Like, and there's also like controversy that comes from using quote unquote, the right species, right? So for example, cinnamon, there are cinnamon snobs that really care a lot about which cinnamon is the real cinnamon, right? There's, and I'm really just going off the top of my head now, there's Zelanica cinnamon, and there's a couple of other related species of cinnamon. So there's like the one that comes from Sri Lanka or Ceylon. Mm -hmm. And then there's like another cinnamon species that comes from like India, like the actual subcontinent plate. And they're very closely related, but they make like one just happens to make like more of one compound than another compound. So like it's the true one and the other ones are the fake one. But in reality, it's just different concentrations of a very similar oil. And for all intents and purposes, like most people would not be able to tell the difference between like, quote unquote, like true cinnamon from like the other cinnamon plants, because what people have to realize is that different plants can make the same thing, right? Like pine trees are not the only plants that make alpha and beta pinene. Lemons make it too. It's just like lemons are not the only plants that make limonene. You know, pine trees make limonene too. Tea trees have little trace amounts of limonene as well. So it's it's really just about, you know, the true nature of the plant is just finding the right plant that makes the right concentration of what you want 
And that's kind of the secret sauce to like, you know. Yeah, scents are so personal. And I think, you know, the more people I talk to that have their gardens, everybody has a different favorite smelling plant. For some people, it's the sweet peas that their grandmother used to grow. Mm -hmm. For Mm -hmm. me, it's the basil that reminds me of my mom and my grandma. For you, it's roses. And at the same time, there are scents, there are probably scents that I hate that you love and vice versa, Mm -hmm. right? Like scent is so personal and also so closely associated with memory. I think of our five senses, it's our closest associated with memory because it's directly connected to that part of our brain. And so I think the purpose of this episode is really just to encourage people to engage your senses in your gardens, however Mm -hmm. you can. And this is outdoors or indoors because Chris, what I've been meeting, waiting to tell you is I recently just got to smell the pina colada orchid Yes. for the first time I was in a random nursery and it was in bloom. I got to smell it. It smelled unbelievable. I wrote about it in the book. You've mentioned it on our podcast several times. I finally got to smell it in real life. It was incredible. I'm so pissed. I didn't buy it. It was $40. I should have bought it. I regret it. But I think just figuring out some way this year to dive deeper into your scent experience with your plants, whether it's just growing fragrant plants Every morning I walk outside and like rub my face in my herb garden, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. rub my face. I'm obsessed with all the different smells as a way to wake up, you know, whether it's maybe trying an extraction method or a diffusion method or Mm -hmm. making a chai vinegar, how can you kind of take the next step in your plant journey? And there are so many beautifully scented houseplants that we have, like the pina colada orchid, like how many Hoyas that are, you know, so hot right now have Mm -hmm. amazingly scented blooms. People grow geraniums indoors. They have all sorts of scents. Exactly. What other amazing scented plants are there? So we got the geraniums. We got orchids. There are plenty. And we're not talking, when we say orchids, we're not talking about the orchids that you see in your the grocery Phalaenopsis, store. Phalaenopsis, right. Phalaenopsis. We're talking about other types of orchids. We're talking maxillaria. We're talking cattleya, the queen of the orchids. We're talking oncidium. Plenty of orchids that have these fragrances that are used in luxury perfumes. And scented geranium is another excellent, excellent one. That one, the leaves are fragrant. And that's actually a really great starter plant if you're just starting to use steam distillation. Scented geranium is very easy to extract to steam distill essential oil from. They're chock full of it and they're super easy to work with. Let's see what else there are. I have a lemon one and a rose one right now. So maybe I'll try that because I like, they're, they also kind of are insect repellent. So I keep them on my yep. balcony. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Those are really great. I'm thinking, you know, the standard gardenia, jasmine growing indoors, hoyas, like you mentioned, are really fragrant. And then there's like the leafy fragrant ones. Like there's a couple of others that people don't really grow, but are still fragrant. Like Bay Rum is a great indoor plant. Cinnamon, you can actually grow indoors. The leaves smell like cinnamon. You can just really just distill. I don't know if it's consumable because I think the leaves are actually a little toxic. But if you're just doing it for fragrance, then yeah, go for it. Distill the leaves. Mm -hmm. You can get the cinnamon scent off of that. There's a lot of like leafy things you can grow that you can crush the leaves and those will have the essential oil in them. Because again, it depends on what the plant was making that oil for. Is it a defense? Is it, you know, is it an attack? Is it, you know, to attract, to repel? Like, what is it for? And its location on the plant is, you know, indicative or at least reflective of what its purpose is, right? So if it's an oil that's found in trichomes, mm-hmm. right? Those are the leafy, those are the those are the hair extensions that you see on scented geranium or even on cannabis, right? 
those are more for like antimicrobial, you know, anti-pest, things like that. So you, you could really experiment around and distill or extract from different parts of the plant, see what you get. There are even some plants where the root, like ginger, the root extract will be the most potent, right? And the leaves, like you don't really care about that. They have too many alkaloids. They'll just be gross and bitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So if you want to get started on this journey, I say, you know, grow the plants, grow the plants. Pick a smell you like and grow it. Just like, like with growing edibles, pick a food you like and figure out how to grow it. Exactly. Exactly. And from there, it's like, you know, do you want to just smash the plant up and rub it all over yourself? Do you want to extract it? You know, use it to spice up your life. Like we, we always talk about leaves and we talk about like, oh, I'm doing it for like the leafiness and I love the greenery, but also like the smell and the fragrance is really important too. Like I, that's why most of my collection are actually fragrant orchids. Yeah, that's actually, plants. that is true. You have such a fragrant orchid collection for sure. And you're always talking about how they fill the, how they fill your room up with the different scents that they have. They do. They do. Another reason to grow orchids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this has been so fun. I'm excited. I'm growing so many scents. I'm definitely going to try some version of what we talked about today, whether it's the Enflorage from Better Home and Gardens or whether it's maybe I'm going to order a little kit and play around this summer. Who knows? But please let me and Chris know how you are engaging with your scents and how you are preserving your scents online. Chris, where can everyone find you? Because you're now offering plant coaching. That's right. Plant coaching, plant consultations, just nycplantdoctor.com. And my email's on there, botanictonic at gmail.com. My Instagram is on there too, botanictonic on Instagram. And you could reach out to me and find me and I'm happy to answer all your questions. And I'm super happy to be on the show again. For the one millionth time, I hope you're back a million more times. Yes. (laughs) All right. Thank you, my friend. Until next time. Keep blooming, keep growing, and keep smelling. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming back on the show. He's a repeat guest that just needs to come up on the show every, you know, once a quarter. He's so fun. One of my oldest and dearest plant friends from my time in New York City. If you want to go follow him, follow him on Instagram at Botanic tonic for all the orchid content you could dream of. He's great with his DMs as well. And the links to his website and everything else he mentioned are in the show notes. Now on to my little scent section. So I just wanted to talk about a couple of practices I've been doing lately that involve plants and scents, particularly essential oils. But before that, plant friends, grow an herb garden. Oh my God, it's the freaking best. In Growing Joy, my book, I talk about how you should look at a plant before you look at a screen in the morning. So before you open up your phone and start scrolling Instagram, go spend time with plants. It really helps you have a moment with yourself and preps you for the day. It's a really beautiful practice. And so all summer, I've been waking up, turning my water on for coffee and going outside and literally like rubbing my face in my herb garden. like rubbing my face in the sage and the chives and the basil. And gosh, having those scents tickle my nose has just been the greatest. So I can't recommend that enough. And the lavender, I actually then throughout my work day, I have a grow bag of lavender on the balcony of my office. And if I ever get stressed out or I just like need a 30 second break, I'll just go smell the lavender and come back in. But if you can't do that, essential oils are your best bet for how to get that experience of smelling these plants and just having like a really beautiful rest and reset kind of moment. So 
I wanted to talk to number one, how I use essential oils and then number two, the essential oils that I'm really loving right now. So number one, I put them in my shower in the morning. So when I run my water for the shower, I let my steam start to run. Then I will take an essential oil of my choosing for the day and I'll put like three drops of essential oil like in the corner of the shower. So the steam will actually activate it and in like less than 30 seconds, my whole bathroom will be scented in the most beautiful way. So in the morning, I like to use eucalyptus as kind of a stimulating, energizing morning moment. And in the evening, I'll do lavender. Sometimes in the morning, I also really like to do thieves oil, but that's a really fun way to kind of have a little beautiful scent moment. I think I've shared this on Instagram before, but I also will travel with a small bottle of essential oils and I'll do that practice in my hotel rooms when I'm traveling. I used to do that when I was on tour in every hotel room I went to and then every hotel room I went to kind of had the same scent and it helped make it feel like home. Then throughout the day, I have a diffuser on my desk in my office. It's a very interesting little like wick diffuser. And every morning, especially as I was writing Growing Joy, I make myself a little potion of whatever essential oil I want to smell that day. And the fun part is I would get into different rhythms where this was my work scent. So this is, I would put Hinoki in my diffuser and I would know it was time to go to work. It was like almost a Pavlovian response kind of, like I smelled Hinoki and I knew it was time to go to work. But the other thing was, it was kind of a fun way to check in with my emotions and how I was feeling that day. And if I was stressed, I would use something a little bit more soothing, like a lavender or a sandalwood. If I needed energy, I would go the eucalyptus or cypress route, but I would kind of tailor the sense based on my mood. And it was an interesting like moment for me to just kind of check in with myself, which ended up being really beautiful. And then if I ever have like an extra stressful day, I will put some lavender or pine oil on my wrists and smell them when I need to. But essential oils can cause contact dermatitis in some people. So put them on your skin at your own risk. That is something that I personally do. If you're not a diffuser person, I also just wanted to give a shout out to this company called Boy Smells. They make these really chic candles And on my birthday, I treated myself. They're not cheap candles. I don't know how much they are. They're definitely like a fancy candle. But on my birthday this year, I treated myself to a Boy Smells candle, and it's the Hinoki Phantom smell. It has Hinoki, cardamom, jasmine, moss, guayac, and uh, it's incredible. Oh, I just smelled it as I'm recording this. It's like the most delightful smell. And I'll, I'll light that candle sometimes when I'm trying to get into like a creative space. So... I keep a little container of essential oils by my desk. And like I said, I'll kind of mix and match what essential oil I'm going for that day. So the thing that we talked about with Chris, Hinoki oil is the biggest thing that I was turned on to through specifically research for my book. It's a Japanese cypress tree. It's kind of lemony. It's kind of an addicting smell. It's a little bit more expensive than the other oils. Like I buy it on Young Living. I believe I have affiliate links that we're going to include in the show notes, but like a small bottle of Hinoki oil is definitely more expensive than a larger bottle of like a pine or something else. So it's a little bit more of an investment, but I have to say personally, I adore it. And it's the bottle that I travel with in hotels now as well. I found tea tree to be very calming. Peppermint I've got in here for, you know, stimulating wake up. Pine, when I was on tour with cats and I was gone for Christmas, I would diffuse pine every day 
in my hotel room. I love pine. I love balsam fir, cypress. So I'm, I do a lot of tree oils and I feel like that's because it, it helps me feel like I'm outdoors, right? Like I'm in nature. Rosemary was another one. I'm just like leafing through my box of oils that I have. Rosemary was another very stimulating scent for me. I'm going to smell it right now. Yeah. Rosemary is incredible. It's really stimulating. It's apparently very good for your memory. And I like that or eucalyptus for a morning or for like a midday pick me up. If I'm feeling kind of foggy, I also was surprised at how much I like orange. One drop of orange in conjunction with a rosemary or even a lavender gives a really nice rounded smell to it. I guess I should probably make sure that I have links to all of these things that I'm telling you guys about. And then the other one I wanted to say was that I love is Thieves Oil. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Thieves Oil. It's a blend of all sorts of different plants, but it's this like spicy really awesome aroma. And I had a voice teacher who used to give me thieves lozenges for my voice. And that's how I got into thieves. <laughs> and then, cause I guess it's edible, but, uh, now I have thieves and I'll, it's, I, I believe it's antibacterial. You can use it in a lot of cleaning materials, but, um, I just, I get really obsessed to how, with how thieves smells. It kind of smells like the holidays. There's like cinnamon in it. So it's a very festive smell. I tend to use it more in the fall into winter around the holiday season. So anyway, I just wanted to give you guys a couple of ideas. I feel like some people are like essential oils. It's just lavender, but there's such a wide array. I've really personally enjoyed playing with these tree oils and they've become a part of my daily life and I really enjoy them. So Obviously, take everything with a grain of salt. If this excites you, go for it. If it doesn't, don't, right? Like, that's the fun part about Growing Joy, my book. We have over 60 practices, and it's like, take the ones you like and leave the ones you don't. I'm here to help you lead a happier life, not a more annoyed one. So... Anyway, we hope as per usual that you enjoyed this episode. Go give Chris a follow. And until next time, my sweet plant friends, keep blooming and keep growing. Plant friend, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you like what you heard, make sure that you're subscribed to the show on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode. And while you're there subscribing, if you wouldn't mind clicking over to the review section and leaving us a review, that would be tremendous. Reviews are so helpful for the growth of the podcast, so thank you so much in advance. If you're looking for more opportunities to grow as a plant parent with Bloom and Grow content, we have so many fun options for you that I want to tell you about. First off, there is the free Bloom and Grow plant parent personality test. It's free, it's super fun, and it only takes three minutes to complete. You take the test and you get your plant parent personality profile. And with that, you get a list of your strengths and weaknesses as a plant parent. And most importantly, my curated list of plants, projects, and podcast episodes that are perfectly suited for you and your planty interests based on your results. The test lives at bloomandgrowradio.com slash personality and can always be found in the show notes of this episode. Okay, plant friends, here's the really good stuff. If you are looking to really grow and up-level your plant parent skills this year, I cordially and proudly invite you to join the Bloom and Grow Virtual Garden Society, rooted in high-quality education and plant community. Plant friends, this is not your grandma's garden society. It's virtual and therefore connects you with plant friends around the world, accessed via our proprietary garden party platform and app, and has the best educational and community-based content and resources available to anyone. 
When you join, you get immediate access to the entire Bloom and Grow Garden Party platform and app, which is our exclusive space off social media, algorithm-free, troll-free, with tons of amazing ways to meet other plant parents like you, like regional groups, daily conversation prompts, and even a plant swap space, which is pretty cool. And in addition to that, you get all of the exclusive premium society content, which is three monthly live calls with myself and our horticulturist in residence and beloved Bloom and Grow Radio guest, Leslie Halleck, all in the interest of helping you grow. Leslie hosts monthly Node of Knowledge plant science lectures and monthly office hours, which we call AHAs or Ask Our Horticulturist Anythings, where you can troubleshoot your personal plant collection problems with her. Think about that. You have access to a horticulturist to troubleshoot your personal plant care issues. So amazing. And then I host monthly Growing Joy calls for community development and to explore the plant care, self-care aspect of plant parenthood. Plus, when you join, you not only get access to the upcoming live calls, but you get full access to all of the replays of previous calls and lectures, like the Science of Plant Dormancy or Grow Lights 101 and beyond. So you can binge your way to your best year yet of plant parenthood. Please come join us. We're having so much fun. Learn more by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting jointhegardensociety.com. For anything else, plant friend, I'm here for you. Feel free to drop me a line when you have an idea for an episode, an event, or even if you're a planty business interested in sponsoring the show. And of course, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily planty silliness, musings, and behind the scenes podcast content. Thank you again for listening to Bloom and Grow Radio. It is my true honor and delight to always help you keep blooming and keep growing. Make new plant friends, propagate knowledge, and grow some freaking joy. That's the motto of the Growing Joy Garden Society app and platform, otherwise known as the plantiest and kindest corner of the internet. If you've been an OG listener or a longtime listener, you might also know this app and platform as the Bloom and Grow Garden Party, but with the rebrand, we've rebranded it to the Growing Joy Garden Society. No trolls allowed, kind plant friends only. And if you haven't heard about the society yet, Plant Friend, you got to join. It's my online community that you can access via iOS or Android app or on your computer that I built to connect our international community of plant friends so we can all nerd out together about plants and celebrate our passion for our beloved plant babies. We have members literally all over the world. I'm so in love with this community of sweet plant friends. I can't say enough amazing things about them. But also there's a lot of really cool features about the app you might be interested in. There's dedicated hashtags to all sorts of different subsects of planty passions like houseplants, gardening, plant-inspired DIY projects, growing joy, plants and pets, and so many more. There's a plantrepreneur group. So if you're a planty entrepreneur and you want to connect with other planty entrepreneurs, you can join that group to connect and network. There's a plant swap section. Plus, the entire app, and this is my favorite part, is entirely searchable. So say you want to learn more about Hoya, you type the word Hoya into the search bar, and literally every post ever created about Hoya will pop up so you can click in, see what other people have been posting about Hoya and learn on your own and crowdsource hair information. It's so cool. But last but not least, it's an amazing way to support the show. Your monthly membership not only goes to sustaining the platform, but it also supports my team of editors, writers, and a community manager that help the world of Bloom and Grow keep growing. So come join us. All you got to do is go to jointhegardensociety.com and sign up for the community plan. Once again, you go to jointhegardensociety.com and click the community plan. Hot 
take plant friends, there is no one right starter plant. There, I said it. And you know what? While I'm at it, there are also no real plant killers in the world. There are just people who have not figured out their right plants for their lifestyle. This is why I created the free Plant Parent Personality Test, because Plant Friend, I want you to get thriving alongside your houseplants as quickly as possible, so I made this cutie little Plant Parent Personality Quiz that's totally free for you on my website to take the guesswork out of building your plant collection effortlessly and joyfully. After speaking to thousands of members in our community, I realized that there are about five key plant parent personalities, each one with their unique set of strengths, weaknesses, and a unique set of plants that thrive under their care. For example, a mindful plant parent, someone who wants to engage with their plants daily, use them in their morning routines. If someone gifted that plant parent a succulent and they watered it every day, that succulent would die immediately. However... That drought-resistant succulent is a perfect match for a low-key plant parent, which is someone who travels, has kids, is busy, doesn't have time to engage with their plants every day. They're looking to engage with their plants more like once a week or once every couple of weeks. In addition, obviously, to understanding your light and basic plant care that we provide on this podcast, Happy Plant Parenthood is all about discovering your personality and then picking the right house plants to go with it. It's that simple. No more stressing over your collection. So what plant parent personality type are you, plant friend? All you got to do to find out is take my free quiz on my website and let me know. You can access it at growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality. After taking the test, you'll get an email with a list of plants, podcast episodes, and planty projects that I think would light you specifically up like a full spectrum grow light. So once again, that's growingjoywithmaria.com slash personality for your free plant parent personality test results. Mm-hmm. 